in a stadium rich with tradition. We have that here, and it reeks. And when you come in, teams take the field, they can feel it. The lights shine the brightest. Definitely playing at Camp Randall is one of the best places to play in college football. This is the Cam. Now, here's your host, Zach Heilprin, and the Athletics' Jesse Temple on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Network. Yes, and welcome into the camp here on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. I'm Zach Heilprin. He's Jesse Temple. Plenty to get to here over the next uh, 45 minutes or so, uh, including, obviously, the biggest story of the season. Probably that will end up being the biggest story of the season. That is Jack Cohn's foot. Wisconsin losing its starting quarterback uh, for an undetermined amount of time. We heard from Paul Christ earlier on Monday, and he said that it happened on a drop back, no contact. He's going to be visiting a specialist this week to determine exactly how they want to go about dealing with it. But we don't know how long he's going to be out. And what it means is an incredible opportunity for Graham Mertz. And certainly you hate to see it play out this way. You'd want, if Graham were to earn the starting job, for him to beat Jack Cohn out. But what I will say is, I think this year, more than any year, certainly since I've been covering the team the last decade or so, Wisconsin is in the best position to be able to recover and still have a capable quarterback. Now, we're probably going to dive into what Graham Mertz can bring, but for Jack Cohn, he put in so much work. We know all about the leadership and, and everything that, that he did to get to this point. And to have it happen on a play like that after the junior season that he had, uh, you just feel awful for Jack. feel horrible for him considering what he did go through. And, I mean, he played through injury last year. I mean, he played through a foot injury last year and, and, and uh, a couple other ailments as well. And, you know, I'm, I'm assuming it would be too much of an assumption to suggest that you know, this is anything close to what he was dealing with last year. It has to be something more severe, you would think, um, for him to not be able to play. But again, Paul Chris wasn't willing to say one way or the other whether, you know, he wouldn't be there week one or, you know, wouldn't be there till November, December, whenever it would be, because they don't know quite yet. And that uh, certainly, you know, maybe that, maybe it's a little bit of gamesmanship. You know, if, uh, if, if this is what, we're 19 days out from the, from the start, from the opener, you know, I think it's pretty safe to say that he probably won't be there against Illinois, and it does leave a tremendous opportunity for Graham Mertz to step up and step in. And I'm wondering what your take is on, on the reaction. I mean, I, I know people want to see Graham Mertz, desperately want to see Graham Mertz, and I think they're trying – I think some are trying to differentiate between celebrating Jack's injury and, you know, celebrating the fact that Graham Mertz is going to get an opportunity. I'm wondering, you know, in, in what you've seen – from people, is it more of gr- glad to see? I mean, you're going to see some people saying this isn't about Jack getting hurt; it's about Graham's opportunity. But um, I've seen some people celebrating, and it's it's it, it feels a little wrong. I think it's about both. It's 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 about Jack, and it's about Graham, and I don't think you can separate the two. I was actually surprised that Paul acknowledged that Graham Mertz had been taking all the one reps with Jack Cone sideline because you and I and everybody else that covers the team don't have an opportunity to see practice. So frankly, he didn't have to say that. Um, It doesn't surprise me one bit because as we know, last season, late in the year, when Jack was battling injury, Graham was taking the one reps and Joe Rudolph even said at the Rose bowl that they were prepared for Graham to go in and start. But that was the Iowa game, right? Yeah, that's right. Late in the season. So it's not a surprise, um, but you can, you can be eager to see Graham Mertz and still feel bad about the situation Jack Cohn is in. This happens all the time at all sorts of positions. It just happens to be at the position that everybody looks at the most with the guy who's the most highly touted recruit to come in here in decades. So I'm certainly 
very interested to see what Graham can do. But I think we shouldn't forget what Jack accomplished last year. And just because Graham is coming in and will potentially be the week one starter, it doesn't mean he's going to have the type of season that even Jack did last year. Because let's remember, there's no Quintus Cephas, and you just can't overstate his importance to the offense last year. He was targeted 94 times last year, and Jake Ferguson was the second highest targeted guy, 44 targets. So there's no Quintus Cephas on the roster, and there's no Jonathan Taylor on the roster, and you take those guys out, and I think that makes it exponentially more challenging for Graham to come in and dominate in the way that I think people believe that he will right off the bat. I'm not saying he won't, but it's a different kind of weaponry around him. No, it definitely is. I is it too much? Is this a hot take to say that they're going to miss Quintus Sebus more than they're going to miss Jonathan Taylor? Do you think that's uh, a hot take? <laughs> no? I don't think it's necessary. I don't think that's the way I feel. I mean, that's the way I feel because you have Quintus was just a difference maker, man. Like he was just you saw the offense in twenty eighteen. Well, no, you saw the offense in twenty seventeen with him. You saw it without him in twenty eighteen, and you saw it again with him in twenty nineteen, and he was amazing. Like, he was off the charts amazing, and there was no one close to him. And Jonathan Taylor, as good as he is, the 6,000 yards, just insane, as, as fantastic a player as he was, you know, it wasn't just him. Like, other things had to happen. You know, offensive line and all, you know, all the things that go into it, it wasn't just him. Quintez made some singular plays by himself that I don't know are still left on this team. It is strange to say that the reigning two-time Doak Walker Award winner uh, is, you know, maybe not as important to what the roster will be this year than what Quintez Cephas was. But I have to agree with you. And I'm not saying that even by, with a running back by committee approach, which I'm sure we'll get into uh, that they're going to be able to make up for the production that Jonathan had. Right. And I don't think they're going to average six plus yards per carry among all that group. No. Um, so there's no question. They're going to be worse at running back without the best <laughs> running back in the country. But when you talk about Quintez Cephas, I look at some of the, some of the advanced numbers that he had, he was the big play go-to threat, and I think Danny Davis can potentially help to fill that void, but he's not Quintez Cephas, at least not based on what we've seen so far. Certainly not last year where he took a backseat to Quintez. Cephas dropped only two of his 66 catchable targets last season, which was the lowest drop rate in the Big Ten among any player with at least 50 targets. So it wasn't just that he was the big play threat. It was that if you threw it to him and there was an opportunity for him to catch it, he was going to come down with it. He had game-changing playmaking ability. And so I agree with you for, for all the reasons you've laid out. <laughs> no, it's, it is. And, again, Jonathan Taylor is fantastic. He's uh, one of the best that's ever done it at a school that has a lot of backs that are some of the best that has ever done it. I just think that that is going to be um, – a bigger challenge is, is replacing Quintez, at least in at least in my mind. But we're not talking about that right now. We're talking about Jack Cohn and Graham Mertz. And when I when I look at Graham Mertz, we haven't seen him since October. What kind of uh, quarterback do you think Wisconsin is getting in Graham Mertz? And I mean, is it going to look significantly different than what we've seen from quarterbacks previous to him? Well, I think pretty clearly you're getting an exceptionally confident and talented quarterback at an age that you almost never see at Wisconsin. Um, if he was at a lot of other programs last season, he probably would have been playing. Uh, it, you know, it took some adjustment. And when we last had an opportunity to watch an actual practice, which was over a year ago in fall camp, we saw that early on he needed some time. And he had only had those 15 spring practices in the previous spring. And he was kind of airmailing some throws and, and just had to grasp the, the full playbook. But 
he very quickly did that. He caught up to Chase Wolf. He passed him. He became the backup quarterback. And I think what you're going to see is somebody with the biggest arm on the team. Uh, and I, I think he's tremendously accurate. The, the accuracy and the big arm have never really been the issue with Graham. Uh, I think it's just the knowledge of everything and what he's been able to do in the last year. If you talk to coaches, John Budmeyer, uh, and I talked to his dad, Graham's dad in the spring, and he was extremely confident about what Graham would be able to do. He's gained a lot of weight. He's much stronger. So I think you've got for a redshirt freshman, uh, an incredible talent that, like I said, just does not come along at Wisconsin every year. But I also don't know if that means he's going to replicate the numbers that Jack put up last season because Jack was the most consistent quarterback Wisconsin's had since Russell Wilson. And I've said before, that doesn't necessarily say a ton about the quarterback play since 2011. But it's very easy to overlook what Jack did last season and just automatically assume you plug in a redshirt freshman and he's going to exceed those numbers because Jack was seventh in the country in completion percentage, almost 70%. Yeah, and again, and uh, it always, and I know maybe we're talking in circles here at this point because I, when I when we talk about the numbers that Jack Cohn put up last year, you can't can't say the numbers that he put up and then not talk about the guys that he lost, um, <laughs> you know, and in putting those numbers up and whether it's going to be so. I mean, it, it, is it going to be a fair comparison then for us to compare what Graham does, however long he's the starter this year? Is it a fair comparison to do that with Jack? Like, I don't, I don't necessarily think it is. I don't know if but, it is either, but, but the world's uh, I think we're still, yeah. <laughs> still going to make those comparisons. And Graham has afforded the opportunity to learn on the job here, too. We have to remember, as you mentioned, he played in two games last season. He took a total of 39 snaps. So he can have all the talent in the world, but you can't replicate that game experience that he's going to get this season. So I don't know if it's fair. I think a lot of us will probably still do it. I think he's well-equipped to be very good, and it depends on the guys around him stepping up. And I almost have more questions about that than I have about what Graham is capable of based on everything we've seen in the last year and a half that he's been in the program and certainly what he did in high school, which I know doesn't always necessarily translate, but there's a reason he's the highest-rated quarterback recruit ever at Wisconsin. I think it's worthwhile to, to look at some of the other guys that he came in with in terms of quarterbacks and how they're playing right now. And, you know, Sam Howell down at North Carolina has uh, had his ups and downs. He got to start all of last year. Perhaps a more worthwhile comparison is Spencer Rattler at, at Oklahoma, who was also in that All-American game that they played in down in San Antonio. And he, you know, he got a, a little bit of playing time, but had to sit behind a pretty good quarterback last year in Jalen Hurts. It's been a bit of a roller coaster for him so far. Uh, has made some plays, but also has made some some boneheaded mistakes. Uh, is that something that we could probably or we should expect to see from from Graham as well? Yeah, I think to expect perfection or anything close to that, especially for someone who hasn't had a start yet, is unfair and unreasonable. But I, I do think he's he came in at a level that to me is higher than any quarterback that has come in at Wisconsin. Um, as a as a high school or, or coming straight out of high school, obviously Russell was a graduate transfer from NC State. So I, I just think when you combine his skill set with his improved knowledge of the playbook, expectations should be very high. But I also don't think that you know you proclaiming him the, the next Heisman Trophy winner here. Like give him some time. And this has been the most unusual off season in what will be the most unusual season. We've seen a, a lot of teams kind of struggle to put it together, and I'm not saying all the circumstances are equal, but Oklahoma, for example, is a team that hasn't played particularly well, and uh, you mentioned Rattler, and so I, I just think that um, it might take some time, but his skill set coming in is higher um, than anybody we've seen in a long, long time, and I think that'll go a long way. It definitely will, and obviously everyone is – I mean, I, 
you know, I've been watching Wisconsin football for 30 years, been covering it for close to uh, this. This is year uh, eight for me. It's what is it? Year what for you? Uh, this is my 10th, 10th season on the beat. Yeah, there has not been, and, and maybe it's because of the internet and social media and all that, but there's not been a more anticipated recruit that I can think of that people want to see than Graham Mertz. I think if Ron, if social media had been around before Ron Dane, the type of uh, the fanfare that some of what he was talked talked about coming in, it perhaps might have matched this, but it's at a different level. And now we get to see what all that excitement was about come, you know, I should say, we'll see. You know, maybe Jack makes a miraculous recovery and we're all talking about this for no reason whatsoever. That seems unlikely, but I can't wait for the 24th. I mean, I was obviously excited to watch football in general, Big Ten football in general, but I can't wait for the, for October 24th to see exactly what all the uh, hype has been about. And we've been, uh, you know, we have to put ourselves in that part too. We've been hyping it up as well, and we'll finally get to see it October 24th, hopefully. Yeah, I've been covering Graham for almost three years now, and uh, he hasn't started a game yet. And so it's it's certainly exciting when you consider just what people feel about him and, and the skill set that he has. And every snap is going to be uh, watched very closely because of what we think he's capable of doing. All right, uh, so let's get into a little uh, over-under here. And we'll start – we'll continue on with, with Graham Mertz, and we'll say – uh, over under four games started by Graham Mertz this season. This is an impossible question to answer because we have no idea on the specific injury status of Jack Cohn, but that would be almost half the regular season since they're going to play nine games. And that would go into what late November, mid November. Yeah. I'll say I'll take the over. Uh, I mean, I obviously we don't know the severity of Jack's injury status, but if Graham plays well, and then Jack comes back, then I think you've got a little bit of a dilemma on you. Uh, I mean, certainly Jack has the seniority and played well last year. Having said that, if Graham is, is uh, on fire here early, um, you know, he might keep that job even if Jack's healthy. Here's the thing, though. Like, what if he's playing well? Say he's playing at the same level Jack did last year. Not, not uh, all-American level, but, you know, and maybe not even top of the Big Ten level, but – pretty darn good. Is there any way in which he loses that job to Jack when he comes back? Or, or, is it, or do they play both? No. Do they play yeah. both? See, that's the, that's the scenario. I think I feel like I was talking about this in the spring is that, that, that was something that I thought could potentially play out. And the reason I said that was because Graham was too good not to play, but everything is different this year because this is a free year of eligibility. So my thought process then was, well, Jack is a senior. This is it for him. Graham's redshirt year is behind him. He's on the clock. He's got four years. And if he is presumably going to be that three-year starter after Jack is done, then you got to get him playing time now. It's not the same. Everybody can come back next year, assuming they want to, and assuming all those scholarships will be honored. Um, That is to be determined. But I do think they could go with the two-quarterback system because Paul Christ has shown – his willingness to do it before with uh, Bart Houston and Alex Hornibrook. The thing is they were a little bit different. I mean, I, I don't know, you know, Graham and Jack's skill set might be more similar. And so I don't know the value in having two guys come in other than you think both of them are prepared and deserve to play and will give you the same thing. I think it's interesting. Uh, Paul was asked about whether the offense would change with Graham versus with uh, Jack and, 
he, he kind of went the opposite way of saying, you know, and not even opposite way, but just he, he kind of pointed to the loss of Quintez Sivas and to Jonathan Taylor is saying, that's why it's going to change. It won't necessarily change because of who's under a quarterback, but it's the, the fact that you have some changes elsewhere on the offense that you have to, you know, you know Tyler Biotis, like you have these changes that you have to manage and that's where the changes may would come as opposed to within the system or within, you know, at the quarterback spot, whether they would call a game differently. But he definitely called it differently when it was Bart Houston and, and Alex Hornibrook because, as you said, they did have different skill sets. But I don't know. I, is Jack – Jack's probably – you think Jack's more ac- uh, more uh, athletic than Graham? Oh, I think boy. He's a little bit, right? Maybe a little bit. That's maybe a, a little bit faster. I think – I mean, Jack clearly showed some of that last season and it caught – the defense off guard. What do you have? 20 plus yard touchdown run at one time. Well, yeah, uh, and there were, there were several occasions where yeah, two of them, there were several occasions where the team like sold out and he, he's got some moves, but I, I think while that isn't Graham's skill set, I think that's something he's capable of doing as well. He's got some escapability outside the pocket. He's not chase Wolf, obviously. And, and by the way, if this was a conversation about chase Wolf is coming in and it's a comparison to Jack Cohn, then you would have, I think some different plays in place because that's Chase's skill set is he he's got that improvisation. He makes the plays on the run that is different from all the other quarterbacks. So again, I don't think that's Graham's number one skill set, but I think he can do it. And I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's fair to say yet that Jack's more athletic than Graham, just because we haven't necessarily had a great opportunity to see it, but Jack certainly had that ability. You look at some of the numbers he had in high school. His, his rushing numbers were, were crazy. He had a lot of rushing yards uh, right. out in high school in New York. That was not, and that was not necessarily the case with Graham in, in Kansas, correct? Right. But different Graham offense. was slinging it and throwing different five offense. touchdowns a game. Yeah. Different offense, of course. Um, I don't think anybody's going to mistake Jack Cohn as some dual-threat quarterback, but he did when you know things broke down. He had that 20-yard touchdown against Michigan or 20-plus-yard touchdown against Michigan on a scramble, and then he also had the one against Ohio State on when nobody thought he was keeping the ball, and uh, I didn't even know he was keeping the ball. I was in the stadium and couldn't tell where the ball went and, and scored the touchdown there, but I don't know. We'll see. I would probably – I would go ahead. Uh, I don't mean to interrupt you, but, I, I mean, since I'm saying he had crazy numbers, I think I should just say exactly what they were. Jack had – 2,551 yards and 33 touchdowns on the ground in high school. He averaged six and a half yards per carry. And Graham rushed for, like as a senior, 267 yards and four touchdowns. But he threw for a Kansas State record 51 touchdowns. So it's not necessarily a fair comparison. Um, but Jack clearly has shown an ability to, to escape the pocket and make some plays that are unexpected. Yeah, for sure. Over under, 700 yards rushing by Nikia Watson. I will take the over on that. Okay. Okay. I, I don't know how many carries he's going to get, but I'm going to assume that he will be the number one guy in the opener. And Paul has said uh, last week, I believe, that the top three right now are Nakia, Garrett Groshek, and Isaac Arendo. A little surprised, I guess, that there wasn't more talk about Jalen Berger or Julius Davis, but those are young guys and they still have to learn. So even though I think there's going to be clearly more of a committee approach this year, which is something John Settle repeatedly said late last season, I think Nikki is going to get 700 yards. He, he had 331 yards last year, and he really didn't get a ton of carry opportunities. He had 74 carries. So I think he gets there. So what would that be? Uh, 700 divided by nine games, 77 yards a game. If he gets the opportunities, then I think he can do it. He had a, a – 
was it the South Florida game, the first game of the year? He 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 had a long touchdown run, and South Florida was terrible. So, but there just weren't a lot of games where he got a ton of carries. So I, I think I think one of the things he struggled with at least early last year was patience behind his blockers. There were some times where you could tell that that wasn't there, and it's an adjustment with the speed. But with another year, I think he'll be better there, and I think he'll get the touches necessary to get there. I'd be interested to see who the second best running back will be this year. Maybe it's Garrett Groshek, but they're obviously very high on Isaac Rendo. There was a reason that they put him into the game plan against Oregon in the Rose Bowl, even though he really hadn't done much offensively or anything before that point. Yeah, no. The thing about him, and, and Joe Rudolph said as much, when he was asked what he sees in him, I see big play potential. And that's exactly what we heard from John Settle at the, at the Rose Bowl and talking about his athletic ability – is on par with Jonathan Taylor, and that's saying something. Uh, someone, when I, when I said something about uh, the big play potential, someone said, uh, tweeted at me saying, he's got that Melvin Gordon speed. And I'm like, no, he's got that Jonathan Taylor speed. He's, he's, he's got track speed. Melvin's fast, right? But Jonathan Taylor was really, really fast. And I, I would put Isaac closer into that group than Melvin. Pure speed, Isaac is the fastest of all of them. He ran yeah. a 4.3840 yard dash at a high school camp once, and he won three, I think, three state championships uh, in track in Indiana. So he, he was a track athlete who happened to be playing football in high school, and then he developed into the best wide receiver in the state of Indiana. So his, his, I think his ceiling is really high because he hasn't had an op- a lot of opportunities, especially if they keep him at running back. He can, he can get out wide, he can catch passes, and if he gets out in the open, good luck catching him. Not saying you couldn't catch Jonathan Taylor or Melvin Gordon. Those are two of the best running backs in college football history. I'm just talking about pure straight-line speed coming in from high school. Isaac might be the fastest guy on the team. There's only a handful of guys I think could challenge him. Fly sweep, fly sweep, jet sweep, a whole bunch of them? Yeah, I mean, why not? They love – they got to have someone. And Well, that's the thing. Like him or Kendrick Pryor or Danny Davis, someone's yeah. getting them. You got the Kendrick Pryor play that he scored on like every time they run it. But, uh, yeah, in the, in the Rose Bowl it was Danny Davis, Kendrick Pryor. And to me, I think you want the ball in Isaac Rendo's hands a bunch as, as well with his big playability. So we'll, we'll see. You were you a little surprised that they didn't uh, talk about or maybe didn't have anything else to say too much about Jalen Berger and Julius Davis for that matter. And I wonder if it's just – they haven't had a chance to, to show anything because no, you know, no true fall camp. And in Davis's case, no spring ball and essentially no fall camp last year. That's what I'm going to lean toward. And, and again, like everything that we hear, um, we, we just have no idea what's happening in practice, which has never happened before. So I, I don't know how many reps either of those guys are getting, but I, I would think that when the coaches were talking about that, I mean, it's, it was still very early on in camp. Right. I don't know how many opportunities the fourth or the fifth running back would even get. If you remember Jonathan Taylor's freshman year in 2017 and the practices that were open to the reporters the first two weeks, I mean, we almost never saw Jonathan Taylor in, in major rep no. action one-on-one, like ones versus ones. So right. it's still early, but coaches clearly have a pretty good feel. At least they think they do for who that top group's going to be. I'm, I would never rule out Julius Davis and, and not Jalen Berger either, considering his skill set. I think Wisconsin's well-positioned for the future at running back. But, again, when we talk about this year, there's no guy that matches what Jonathan was able to provide. And I don't know even if you have three guys that they'll be able to fully, obviously, match what Jonathan did. I think you just have to hope that Wisconsin closes the gap enough at running back to make teams concerned so that they play up and you can hit some big plays. Well, and I think it's – I mean, it's always going to be about the running game, isn't it? Like, at least – 
you would think. Uh, obviously, it starts that way. But the one thing I did, you know, we got to talk to Nikia Watson last week as well, and, and he, he was asked about Jalen Berger. And the first thing that came out of his mouth was, he's fast. He's fast. He can run. And he also mentioned him returning kickoffs. So, you know, and we, we know based on watching practice how many guys get to return kickoffs. There's like, there's like three or four of them. But the fact is they don't have that guy. They don't have a guy that they know that they can put back there right now. So I would assume Jalen Berger's up, the, you know, up as one of those guys that's a potential uh, replacement for Aaron Cruikshank, along with Isaac Garendo and, and probably a, a few other guys. But he said as soon as he learns that playbook, he thinks he can be an impact player for them this year. So whether that is Illinois or whether that's Minnesota, you know, in Iowa late in the season, I think we're going to see Jalen Berger at some point, right? I mean, there's just – I mean, I, I, I can't imagine him being kept off the field. He's just – there's just too much talent there. I think we're going to see him too. And, again, I, I feel like a broken record talking about what an unusual season this is. But it really – this is a big part of it is since everybody has this free year of eligibility, there's no cap on the number of games you can play. So he could play six games and, and retain that year of eligibility. And the other thing is – we don't know what's going to happen if there's a faction of the team that has COVID and can't play. Like anybody is capable of coming in and playing if other guys go down, which is a possibility certainly. And you might as well give guys a look if it's a free year. And to, to Jalen's skill set, yeah, he brings a dynamic, I think, to the running back room that is even different from the other guys. You look at his high school highlights and, and almost – all of his rushes were out on the edge. Like they love to use him in sweep situations and his pass catching ability, I think is as good as any running back coming in. And obviously Isaac Arendo has moved around from wide receiver to running back and was a straight up wide receiver in high school, but they used Berger in the passing game a lot. He's extremely athletic. He has great hands. He can cause matchup problems. And that speed is something that can create issues as well. So I certainly would not be surprised if they use him there or on kickoffs too. I would have said that it would have been Garendo, but if he's got a bigger role on offense, then maybe you want someone else there. Yeah, that was a huge part. I mean, that's a huge hole to fill at kickoff. I mean, obviously you're not getting to return nearly as many kickoffs as you used to because of uh, some of the new rules and that type of stuff and them trying to limit it. But, you know, Aaron Kirkshank, two kickoff returns for touchdowns last year, and they were big returns uh, against Nebraska. It was a, after a Nebraska touchdown, kind of changed the momentum back in Wisconsin's favor. And then obviously the one against Oregon did the same thing. So, I mean, it's, uh, it's a big spot to fill, even though you may not get nearly as many chances back there as you normally, as you used to maybe what, 10, 15 years ago. Um, the other guy that uh, Joe Ruoff talked about on Friday was, uh, or I should say another guy that he talked about was Jake Ferguson. He said, this is as good as I've seen Ferg look. So over under Jake Ferguson, 400 yards receiving. I am going to take the over. He had 407 last year, and Quintez Cephas was getting think, all the targets. You have to think about this, though, Jesse. He, he, that was 14 games. The most they can play this year is 10. So, you know, you got to – that's why there's, there's a little bit of a, you know, thing you got to work on. Yeah. That's true. That's true. What about the college football playoff, though? That's an, that's an additional. They make the championship game. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Well, so, I, most they can play is 11. I'll still, if they get 10 games, I'll still take the over. That's 40 yards a game. And I mean, he might be, I, I think if I had to pick, I, I'm going to go with him as the number one targeted guy this year yeah. over Danny Davis or Kendrick Pryor. And I certainly could be wrong, but Ferguson was number two last year. He was targeted 44 times. 
and Cephas got 94 targets, so who's going to make up the difference? And I think Ferguson's going to be that guy. He played almost every snap last year. He had to do a lot of different things, and he's going to have help at tight end. Obviously, they feel very strongly about Hayden Rucci um, and Jalen Franklin. Um, so I think that Ferguson's going to get a lot of opportunities, and I'll take the over. Yeah, it's going to be interesting at that position because you have, obviously, Jake being the established guy and, and as said, looking as good as he ever has. But uh, Hayden Rucci is probably going to be that inline blocking tight end that Cormac Sampson, uh, that kind of role that Cormac played last year. And then you have Jalen Franklin behind Jake as kind of that other receiving tight end. I wonder if, you know, the last time an outside linebacker moved from uh, – or I should say the last time a, you know, pretty good outside linebacker in high school that, you know, was a pretty good player there, moved to the other side of the ball and played tight end. It was Travis Beckham. That worked out all right. And I, I, I'm, I'm sure there have been other guys, but I'm, cause I'm going to, I'm going to put my foot in my mouth like I did with the six, with the six foot running back thing a couple of weeks ago. That was, that was bad. Oh my goodness. You know, how many t- texts and tweets I got from people saying, well, John Clay, Melvin Gordon, like just, laid them all in there um, of guys taller than but here's the good news. That means people are listening because that was buried deep within the, the uh, show <laughs> It was, but like it, you know, and I'd be like, yeah, yep. I, uh, I brain farted that entire segment. That was, that was brutal. Uh, but either way, I'm not saying he's going to be Travis Beckham, but that's the type of, that's what they, I think are probably trying to envision in terms of a athletic receiving type tight end that is probably more willing to line up, outside and that type of stuff, as opposed to all the in, in-line blocking that you normally see out of uh, Wisconsin's tight ends. I think he's going to be more used in the passing game than he will be in the running game, at least at this point, at least at his weight right now, which I believe was listed at 225. So um, I don't think you're going to be seeing him inside, but that's an interesting position. I'm, I would go with the, uh, I, I guess I'll go with the over two uh, because he is going to be so targeted. He is going to be the guy there, but it's a, it's an interesting position. And, and how take the over, by the way, on I Nakia Watson? I took – oh, Nakia? I'm going to take the other on Nakia. Okay. I'm going to take the other on Nakia. So that's under, under 700 yards for him on the ground. Because I do think that they're going to involve a whole bunch of other guys. And we saw, you know, Kendrick Pryor and, and Dan Davis be involved in the run game last year. I think that's going to continue and Isaac Garendo and all that good stuff. But we've kind of talked about this on the fringe a little bit. All the seniors being allowed to come back next year. Jack Cohn said he was approaching this. Uh, I believe he told his home, hometown newspaper as is he was approaching it as if he had two senior years left. Do you anticipate all guys doing that? Or do you, do you view this as this is it for some guys? And I, I you know one guy that I'm thinking of is, is Eric Burrell because he talked about this in July or in August when this whole thing shut down. You know, he couldn't envision himself coming back for a sixth year. But a guy like Garrett Groshek, a guy that may not have an NFL future, would he perhaps – want to come back or does he having gotten his degree and probably, you know, working on his master's and just married, would he want to move on and move on with life? Like, I, I think that there's a lot, there's a lot of unknowns there, right? Yeah. I, I wrote about this uh, at the athletic uh, bef- at the end of August about just you still right for the athletic. I, I do. Yeah. I know there's been some questions. Maybe I should just lay it out here in the middle of the pod. Again, if you're this deep, you're a true diehard of the show. Uh, my wife and I had a son, uh, a few weeks ago, so I'm out on paternity leave right now. I initially was going to take all 12 weeks cause there was not supposed to be a season, but then the big 10 decided to change course again. So I'll be back, uh, October 19th writing again. That'll be the week of the first, the first game. So that's why I've been silent of late, no sleep whatsoever. Um, <laughs> but, uh, 
so well, congratulations experience thank you so uh anyway uh yeah still following the badgers obviously and and ready to get back and write about them but in terms of the scholarship numbers uh, i think it's obviously it's a case-by-case basis i mean if eric burrell doesn't want to come back he's not going to come back and i can completely understand someone with two degrees who doesn't want to be in college for a sixth year um and same with garrett groshek now, if they want to come back, I'll be interested to see what Wisconsin decides, whether the Badgers will honor those scholarships. We know in the spring that they didn't do that with seniors, but football is a little bit different animal. Based on the projections of guys who are going to be on the roster this year and then guys who are in the 2021 recruiting class, I had – there were something like 99 scholarship players eligible to return in the fall of 2021, give or take a couple. So that's obviously over the 85 number – that you have every other year, but there's certainly, I think going to be guys that come back and that's going to create a log jam. I think it could potentially lead to more transfers with guys who are frustrated about playing time, especially when you look at the 2019, 2020, 2021 classes, the three best Wisconsin has had, you were thinking you were going to space those all out. All of them are going to be freshmen next year. Think about that. You're, yep. you're going to have like Graham Mertz is still going to be a redshirt freshman. The guys who were true freshmen last year are still going to be freshmen. The guys coming in 2021 still going to be freshmen. I don't even know. It's, it's like blowing my mind right now to comprehend what that's going to look like. But for the seniors who get that free year. Yeah. I mean, it, guys who want to come back if they're allowed to, I think a lot of them probably will. Yeah. I can't. And Paul was asked about this and he said, everyone's at a different point and, and, in their lives and some guys have the things that they want to go ahead and, and, and move on and do. And, you know, it's all going to depend on where they are. I can't imagine them not allowing a guy to come back at this point. I mean, as bad of a look as it is to sit here and not allow guys, you know, people in the, in the spring to do it. Football is a different animal, especially financially. And, uh, but, you know, could the financial impact of not having fans in the stands in the, you know, the 60 to $70 million that they're losing, impacted so much that they won't let those guys back. Like, I don't, I don't see that, but it's something that is some schools are going to have to wrestle with. Yeah. Ultimately you're talking about 12 or 14 additional scholarships. And obviously those costs add up. I don't think it's too much for the athletic department, even at a deficit to overcome, but I mean, it was the precedent set with the spring sports. I mean, that is to be determined. I thought I saw some when they've had all these people testifying uh, in Congress, um, you know, about the national, you know, the name image likeness NIL. And I think one school said it was, they're spending a hundred thousand dollars per athlete per year, football player. So if you're, you're talking about, say that's Wisconsin, that's uh, an additional 1.2 to $1.4 million scholarship wise. Yeah when you're, when you're in a deficit already, is that too much? I don't know the answer to that question. I mean, yeah, I, I don't have the answer to that either. I, all I do know is that uh, the rosters are going to be just crazy looking if everybody decides to come back, because again, they are allowed under these rules to come back, assuming that the school honors that scholarship. So um, yeah. it'll be, it'll be a log jam like we've never seen before. Yeah, it definitely will. Um, all right, let's get into uh some Twitter questions. Um, Adam asks, and we, we don't know, he asked about the severity of Cohen's inj- foot injury. We don't know that. But if it is severe, then what do we think of his path, assuming Mertz takes the reins this season? I think he's asking, you know, if, if Graham Mertz grabs the job and doesn't let go, what is Jack's path? 
does he stick around? Does he transfer elsewhere? I mean, this, this is a pretty seismic injury in Wisconsin football history, potentially. Yeah, I wish I had a concrete answer on this because Jack obviously will have another year no matter what. But if Graham surpasses him and is playing at a really high level, I don't know how you turn backward with the guy that we think is the future at quarterback for Wisconsin. That's really challenging. I mean, Jack obviously has put in a lot of work and you know he loves Wisconsin and has the respect of the teammates. At the same time, um, playing is important. You put in a lot of work to do that. And if there's a better opportunity somewhere else, we'll just have to wait and see. But um, that's why this season is going to be so intriguing because of the position that we're talking about. I mean, everybody loves the quarterback battles and we really haven't had one um, in a little bit here. So we'll, we'll see how this plays out. Yeah, I just – I think it's one of those – I don't want – I mean, I, I don't know. We'll, we'll see how severe the injury is for Jack, and if, if it's something that's going to keep him out the entire season. If that's the case, I think it's going to be pretty hard for him to grab the job back. But, you know, does he stick around then for the spring and, and fight for the job? And if he doesn't win it, then transfer? There's, I mean, there's – we're getting way ahead of ourselves, but it, this thinking down the line here, that's potential I – mean, this has a potential to, to be significant fallout, you know, for Jack for sure. And uh, 2020 Badger hot takes. This is from uh, Wisco Inferno. Let's hear yours. Do you have any hot takes for this season, Jesse? Oh man, you're putting me on the spot. I know. I should. I, I shouldn't have done that. I don't. I don't know. What's a good hot take for this for this take? team? Uh, I mean, if there was no injury, then it would have been that Graham Mertz uh, starts more games than Jack Cohn. But that's right. not so hot takey anymore. Uh, a hot take. Wisconsin doesn't win the Big Ten West. Is that a hot? I don't even know. Is that a hot take? Having it's won a it, take. Having having won it three of the five years that Paul Chris has been the coach, yeah, uh, being a favorite to win it again. I don't know. I, I, <clears throat> hot take. Uh, there will be a punter by the start of the season. Hot takes. We that, haven't seen. We don't know what the heck's going on on special teams. Hot takes that. Yeah, you know, and that's the thing. I was about to say hot takes that no one cares about. That would have been one of them. But we also saw the impact of special teams last year on this team and the ability for a punter to catch the ball. That, to me, is probably pretty significant, right? Yeah, I think so. I don't, have a, I don't have a good hot take here uh, unless you want to say Jalen Berger becomes the next Jonathan Taylor or something <laughs> like that, but I'm not ready to go on that limb. Yeah, what uh... – yeah, I don't, I, don't, I don't got anything. I'm sorry. If I think of one, I'll probably edit it back in here. We let all the listeners down. We did. That's my bad. Uh, before we go, though, I, I wanted to ask you about Nakia Watson and his uh, decision to, to talk about Illinois and them deserving a butt whooping after what happened last year. I didn't really take that as bulletin board material because, obviously, after what happened last year, you would think Wisconsin would want to give Illinois a butt whooping. Uh, However, Illinois took it pretty, pretty, pretty seriously. Uh, I had players, I had players in, my, in my mentions retweeting that and quote tweeting it and saying, internet gangster and uh, who, what else? Uh, something about wearing the, the, those gray ghost uniforms at Wisconsin. And it's as if Wisconsin didn't give that game to Illinois last year. As if Jonathan Taylor didn't fumble down inside the 30-yard line with the Jack, Jack Cone interception that he had uh, late in that game too. I mean, Wisconsin gave that game away, but like being insulted by saying someone wants to, wants to hand you a butt whooping. Like, I got, I don't get that. I am sure you watched the last dance, Zach. I did. 
I am I am sure that uh, you saw that Michael Jordan made up slights so yeah. he could have a reason for motivation. That yeah. I think became an internet meme, basically. So I am not surprised at all. This is uh, this is bulletin board material. I'm I'm. Is it though? It is for a team looking would for you? something. Would you? I don't. It's not like I think this is some crazy statement. I mean, do you need to say it to the media? Probably yeah. not, especially no. when you haven't done a whole lot at the college football level. I mean, right. he hasn't been a starter yet, but it's pretty clear that Wisconsin uh, sees the importance of this opener, especially given what happened last season. And if Illinois wants to use it as motivation, more power to the Illini. Yeah, they stole that game from Wisconsin, but hey, they someone had to win that game and the Badgers gave it away. So um, that's kind of where I'm at on it. But at least it'll make the opener more exciting. It will. There's like, not going to be any fans. There won't be any fans. Uh, very limited media. Uh, very uh, essential people. Would you consider media essential? Like, I don't think that's essential. I would say no. In would, a year no. in which the only interviews will be conducted on Zoom, you could do, you could do things from home this year. It's something to strongly consider for the road games. I'll say that. I mean, you don't, you don't have to leave home to cover the team this year. Yes, this year you, you do not. There is no additional access. So all the things that help us do our job better, it's understandably off the table. Um, I don't know if we're essential, but I'd like to think we're conduits to the readers and the fans who want more information. Sure. But like everyone can see absolutely everything else that we can see. You know what I mean? Like no, no one's getting any inside information for like in terms of things that we see that they couldn't see otherwise. We can see the sideline from the press box and who's we, sitting on the bench and who's warming up. So we'll injury. always have that in 2020. Yes, yes, we will. Again, Wisconsin getting closer to their season opener. They'll, they'll take on Illinois October 24th, and it has a little bit extra juice thanks to Nakia Watson and what happened last year. And hopefully uh, we'll get uh, some more news on Jack Cohen and see exactly how long that his injury is going to keep him out. Jesse, thank you very much. Thanks, Zach. All right, you've been listening to The Camp here on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network.